for. And as we go into this message today, I want you to think about what is your calling as a man, as a woman, and ultimately as a child of God. And, and in your calling, each of, each of us have unique callings. We also have similar callings as well as Christians. How can we become better Christians and better followers of God in that calling in 2024? And so what I, what I want to kind of open up with is one of the biggest flaws I believe we have in society today is we really don't understand in the world society, you know, what is a, a man, what is a woman, what is a man's calling, what is a woman's calling, and we also don't really know what a Christian's calling is either. We get, you know, the churches have millions of viewpoints about that. And, and if you think about it, biblical masculinity, biblical feminism, it's basically been thrown out the door in our society today, it's been corrupted. <clears throat> However, it's one of the most crucial aspects of the Christian life. Family life and church life are directly tied together all throughout Scripture. How the church is operated should be how families are ran. If the families are ran according to God's Word, the church should also correlate that and then society as well, and then all of us are living in the way that God has called us to be. But if you guys know it doesn't happen, uh, society lives the way they want to live. They live very contrary to the Bible. And unfortunately, instead of the church influencing society, a lot of times we let society influence the church. And then it changes the way we operate, and then it trickles down in our families and the way we operate in our family life as well. And so what I want to go through tonight was what is God calling men to do in the church and also in the home life in 2024 and going forward? And what is God calling women to do in the church and in the home life? And then ultimately just all of us together as Christians. Because we are different. We have different callings as men and women. We also have unique callings that are similar uh, as Christians that we all share as well. So I want to, go, I want to start with the men here. I want to go over the men. Um, as we go over each gender here, the opposite gender, um, it also helps that you know as well as you keep that person accountable. I'm going to call it in 2024. Um, and some of you guys are probably doing this great. I think we have a really good church here. Uh, but in overall society, uh, there's a lot of churches that don't do these things well. And if you know somebody that's you know, living outside their calling, uh, hopefully this will kind of give you some better ammunition and confidence to maybe talk to that person this year and just guide them back to where God is really calling them to be as a man and as a woman and ultimately as a Christian in today's world. And so men, first off, God has called men to be leaders of their households. But sadly, in society today, we don't have a bunch of weak men that don't necessarily step up to that leadership role in the way they should. Um, everything else begins to crumble when the leader falls. Uh, one thing I heard was, I went to a leadership conference recently, and on the leadership conference I went to, it said that when the leader gets better, everybody wins. Everybody gets better. But when the leader begins to fail, everybody that he leads also fails as well. Because when the leader, the leader is supposed to lead everybody else into the right direction. And so if leaders are going to be leaders of their households, and they're not leading the way they should lead, then everything else begins to crumble as well. And then we get to how we have some things decided today. So if you look back at Adam, I want you guys to pay attention to something here in Genesis chapter 3. And in verses 1 through 9, we'll be in Genesis for most of tonight. But as we look at Genesis chapter 3, there's a very important truth here that sometimes gets overlooked in this passage. And so I'm going to read off verses 1 through 9. And I want you to especially pay attention to who God calls out to him. So it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall 
like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now catch this last few verses here. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Now what you guys catch on this passage, and Pastor Chuck actually pointed this out a little bit a few weeks, or probably some months ago now. That in this passage, uh, Eve is actually the one who eats from the fruit first. Then she gives it to Adam, and he eats from it as well, and they both take him to sin. But God doesn't call out Eve first. He calls out Adam. And, and Adam is the one that gets in trouble first because Adam was responsible for Eve. And his job as a leader of his household back then, which is just him and Eve, was to protect her from temptation, to guide her to the truth, and to, and to make sure he is leading her well. But instead, when the servant offered Eve this fruit, he knew it was wrong. He knew that God told him not to eat from this tree. Instead of Adam saying, hey, Eve, no, we, we can't do that. God said not to do that. Adam just let her go along with this and let her participate in it. And then he also participated in himself. And so God calls out Adam here and addresses him first as leader of the household and says, because your leadership fails, now both of you should pray in sin. That's the interesting concept here. When you think about that in our society today, uh, is men being leaders of the household. She was going to eat the fruit first. However, God called Adam out to fail and stop her. She was his responsibility to lead, and he let her fall into temptation and also willing to participate in it. So what, what does this mean for us? Men are called to lead their families to live life honoring the God and to protect them from the temptations of the world. This means that men should be the ones to start and lead devotions in their own homes. Um, this is something that I've already felt convicted about, something that I'm going to try to do in 2024, and Emily, she's getting a little bit older now, um, and she's starting to kind of understand some things, is each night have a little family devotion and just do a simple little Bible story with her, uh, just go through one of, the, one of the chapters of the Bible or go through a kid's story Bible that we have, uh, and then have some time of prayer as well. Um, and so that she can see, again, this is important. But again, as men are spiritual leaders of the home, um, they should be the ones to start up these devotions. So in your home, in your individual home today, if you're not doing that, if you guys are just going to church and going to the motions, I'd encourage you and challenge you in 2024 to try to set time each day to do a small devotion with your family. You can just read a passage of scripture, you can just spend some time in prayer, you can mix it up, you can customize it to how your, your needs best are fit for your family. But in the end, we should show our families that this is important to us. It's important to us that we know God's word and that we follow God's word. See, Adam, he knew what God told him to do. He didn't show Eve that it was a priority to follow that. And when somebody tempted him to go into a different direction, he just said, ah, oh, it is what it is. But if you sit down with your kids, with your wives, and your family, and you pour into them daily, you show them this is important, and you also show them the way that you live, you model it as well, then your family is more likely, when they are faced with temptation, to remember those stories they've heard, to see your leadership as well. Ultimately, they see God and they avoid that temptation, and they go in the right direction. But if you're not leading from the top well, it trickles down to the bottom as well. I also want you guys to think about this. 
unfortunately, this is a case in a lot of churches today, that there's a lot of families that come to church just as, you know, maybe it's just the wife or maybe it's just the kids that come to church. Uh, especially a larger church, you see this a lot, where uh, just a lot of youth come to church and their parents haven't come at all, you know, and it's great for kids to come in, but it's like, what kind of example of a parent sitting there? And I know sometimes you have work schedules and conflicts and things that may be in the way. And that's why it's important to have home devotion. But there's not some kind of conflict like that. Men, it's really our responsibility to bring our families to church, to make that a priority each week, to get up on Sunday mornings, to show this important, to get ready, to get our families up in, up in the car and, and, and to take them to church. Because again, as the leader of the household, they're looking to you and how you're going to lead, how you're going to model that. And if you don't show that church is important, if you don't show that God's word is important, then why are they going to think that it's important as well? And then when they get older, they're not going to take themselves to church. So it's important to consider your priorities. Spend time in prayer with God about where He wants you in your life right now. And what can you do to be a better spiritual leader of the home in 2024? Now, we go to men's calling in the church here, and we'll get to the women's calling. Furthermore, men should be stepping up to serve and lead in the church first. Not only in physical work, but also in spiritual leading. And this is probably the spot that we have the sorest need in churches across America today. We are, each year in seminary, it seems to be getting less and less people going through seminary. Less and less people are going into the ministry, and, and we have less and less men that are pursuing ministerial calling. And although not necessarily everybody's called to be a pastor or a youth pastor or something like that, all of us are called to serve the church, though. And we have a lot of times... We get in the selfish mindset that church is all about me, 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 and what can I get from the church instead of what can I give to the church. And as, 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 a, as a man, as a Christian, you have unique gifts and, and abilities that you can give to the church. And God has called men to be those leaders. And so if you can step up and lead a Bible study, you can step up and lead a devotion, you know, step up and lead a ministry, serve in some capacity. I encourage you to, to spend some time in prayer with God on where he might want you to be in 2024. And to go out that go with that full heartedly. Because when men are stepping up to being leaders of the churches, again, everything else trickles down as well. Um, I, I said here that um, we have a lot of passive men in society today, and this is one thing that's killing our society. Biblical masculinity should be taught in church and lived out throughout society. This is a, this call to leadership then spreads into how the church is supposed to lead and all the society that God desires us to live in. So as we kind of go transition here to the women and we'll get to everybody together, uh, I want you guys to think about a few important things of women's role in the home and the church. Uh, women are created equal to men, and unfortunately, for years in America, we didn't treat them that same way. Uh, God's word even instructs men not to be dominating over women, and that's a very important factor. Uh, they have just as an important role in the church and in the home as the men do. Uh, they are created from the beginning uh, with a heart and a passion and a gifting to serve and should be the leading examples of this and caretakers of children in society. Um, so I want you guys to think about this, and I, I spent a lot of time in, in biblical study and thinking about this and in prayer, and this was a really fascinating thing about how family life ties into church life and to God. See, women show another side of God as the caretaker and the nurturing side. As men and women both are given equal images of God, but neither are given the full embodiment of God. They are created to come together as one uh, and, and see the full picture of God being led by the Holy Spirit. 
See, men are given certain spiritual gifts. Women are given certain spiritual gifts. Both are equally as good and valuable. Both are different sides of who God's character and nature is. So when you, you become married later on and you join together as one, you become strong because you, brought, you combine your gifts and your abilities together to do even more than you can do by yourself. And that's why marriage is so important in the Bible. And that's why, again, church life ties in to marriage. And so if you look here, society has made it seem like servanthood is something to avoid. But, God, but to God, this is praise, is adored, and it's honored. Even Jesus says, blessed are those that are servants who serve well. Those are, the key, those are who the kingdom of heaven is for. So I put here that in society today, one thing that really contradicts the women's role is the feminist movement. It's been one of the most unbiblical and destructive in our society, although there have been some good things that come out of it. The core of this movement, unfortunately, is not equality of men and women, but that women should hold all the same roles and responsibilities that men do. However, when you do that, it goes directly against God's great order because then men are doing roles that are created for women and women are doing roles created for men. That's why our society today we have a lot of men that want to be women and a lot of women want to be men. We have a lot of confusion out there. Uh, so in the creation account of Genesis 1, God's firstborn was subject to men and women is that they were equally created in the image of God. Neither received more of the image of God than the other. So the Bible begins with the equality of the sexes. As persons, as spiritual beings standing before God, many women are absolutely equal. But now we get to Genesis 2, which is right before we read Genesis 3, and you get a more detailed account of creation. And if you guys want to go back through and kind of read through that tonight or this week, Genesis 2 is a wonderful chapter to kind of go through that. But it goes through a detailed account of the creation of two equal human beings that reveal differences in their God-given functions and responsibilities. God did not create the man and the woman at the same time, Rather, he created Adam first and Eve later for the specific purpose of being Adam's helper. Eve was equal to Adam, but she was given the role and duty of submitting to him. Now, now here's the key part here. The word helper in the Bible carries very positive connotation. It's not like society today that downs that and says that servanthood and helper is just a terrible thing and it's less than. Helper back then was very positive in the Bible. It's even being used of God himself. Again, because women have part of God's church of gift. It's, it's just as good. Even being used of God himself as the helper of Israel, it still describes someone in a relationship and service to another. So I'll put it here, and I got some of this from uh, John MacArthur here as well. He does, he does a good uh, bit on this. The, the responsibility of wives to submit to their husbands then was part of the plan from all of creation, even before the curse. The first books of the Bible established both the equality of men and women and also the support role of the wives. Now, throughout the Old Testament, women uh, were not seen as equal partisan as men. And even in the Greek and the Roman time, they viewed women almost on a level of possession. So Jesus flips the script, and he comes in, and the New Testament says, no, 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 guys, you got it wrong. That's not at all what women meant. Jesus showed love and respect for women. Though Jewish rabbis did not teach women the Jewish Talmud, they said it was better to burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. Jesus never took that position upon women. By the very nature, um, he, he taught them spiritual and theological truth. He not only included them in his audiences, but also used illustrations and images that would be familiar to them, and specifically he even applied his teachings to women. To the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus revealed that he was the Messiah and discussed her topics such as eternal life and the nature of true worship. He also taught Mary and said, uh, when, when, uh, 
when the admonished by Martha points out the priority of learning spiritual truth even over the womanly uh, responsibilities, like serving guests in that time. So Jesus puts the script on this. But, and although men in Jesus' day normally would not allow women to count change in their hands, so the fear of physical contact, Jesus touched women to heal them and allowed women to touch him as well. Jesus even allowed a small group of women to travel with him and his disciples. An unprecedented happening in that time. After his resurrection, if you guys know in the Bible, Jesus actually first appeared to Mary Magdalene and sent her to announce his resurrection to the disciples, despite the fact that women were not allowed to be witnesses in the Jewish court because they were considered liars. It's just a, kind of a weird, crazy thing back then. Uh, in Jesus' treatment of women, he raised their station of life and showed them compassion and respect in a way they had never known before. This demonstrated their equality. But at the same time, though, however, Jesus still did not exalt women to a place of leadership where he called them to this servant, servanthood. But don't miss this. Women have one of the greatest responsibilities in all society. Women are called to manage the household in the Bible and are primary in caring and nurturing for the upcoming children in society. This also directly ties with the critical role they have in the church. This is essential that they, they do this role well, because if they don't, both boys and girls grow up to be people God is not calling them to be. Without strong and godly motherly influences on children's lives, we get weak, weak men and women later in society. In 1 Timothy 5.14 it says, this is 1 Timothy 5.14, So I would have younger widows marry their children manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So although it's funny because it says in the Bible that men are the leaders of the household, but then at the same time, women manage the household. So you have kind of like your CEO and your CSO almost uh, in the household. Uh, but the women's role in the household and the church is critical because women naturally have a more caring, nurturing side than men do. Men naturally have a more protective side uh, and that goes along with kind of their role and responsibility. Uh, but this is an important trait that we shouldn't uh, slander in society. Uh, and a lot of, in a lot of society today, we have a lot of absent mothers. Instead of mothers pouring into their children and those in society, the feminist movement a lot, and in a large part, has prompted the idea that women should all be about themselves and their careers, leaving many children to be raised now by whatever daycare they're sent to or by other kids on social media that we live in. Now, this is not saying that women shouldn't have jobs or do well in their careers. It's saying that when women focus on careers more than caring and nurturing the children of the next generation, society as a whole begins to suffer. Now, this same idea can also be applied to men as well. There are a lot of passive fathers out there too. But it's especially damaging to the child when the mother is like this. When, while husbands and fathers have been given the primary responsibility for the leadership of their children, Wives and mothers are urged to be workers at home, meaning managers of the household. Their home and their children to be their priority, in contrast to the world's emphasis today on careers for women outside the home. But what does this mean inside the church? What does this mean for the church and ministry as a whole? Now, this is what's important. I think women sometimes have the, the, the absolute highest um, priority uh, as, far as, um, as far as significance in their role. And they don't fulfill their role Get everything else kind of crumbles too, just like the men. Women should model and servanthood to the church. They should seek opportunities to pour into the children and teach them the ways of the Lord. This is especially crucial for kids that come to church with rough home lives. Many kids need that godly, motherly figure in their lives 
because the mother they think is in, unfortunately, doesn't live up to that call. And I've seen this in a lot of churches I've served at, where we get youth that come in uh, from the surrounding neighborhoods, and their mother is just totally absent, the father's absent. They have a terrible home life. But they find that one mother, that one woman in the church that just takes a special liking to them, takes a special caring to them, and, and their, their highlight their entire week is coming to church to see, you know, Miss Cassie or Miss Betsy or whoever it may be. Because they know in that short little time they're with them, they're going to start to have a true motherly figure. And they're going to start somebody who really cares about them and pours into them. And a lot of times that person has a greater influence on their life than anybody else does. Because they learn to trust that person and they see that person as kind of their motherly figure. And so if children come into our church, you know, if, if youth come into our church, um, they might have a rough home life. They might have rough backing. But if you can spend that special time to get to know them, to pour into them, to care for them, to show them that motherly care and that, and that comfort, and guys can do this too. Uh, mothers, I know a little bit more, uh, have that gifting. Um, it makes a big difference. It goes a long way to those kids. And a lot of times, it, it, it's the biggest influence in that kid's life. I also put here that women should be the strongest support in the church for those in leadership positions, especially those in their own household. This means they are prayer warriors and remind the church as well the importance of prayer. They should be strong enough to, in this prayer time, though, to question leadership if they feel the Holy Spirit is telling the leaders to out of line with God's word and kindly direct them back to submitting to God first. They will also support the leaders in the church when they do this and be the biggest encouragers. And I put here that women are pretty much the front porch of the church in encouragement hospitality and care. If you go into any kind of church and you don't see hospitality, encouragement, or care, even if the church has great leadership, even if they have great programs, even if they teach the Bible well, most people are going to come back to that church. People want to know that you care about them. They want to know that they're in a place where they feel like they're, they're cared for, they're nurtured, and they're growing spiritually, and they're growing as a person. And a lot of that comes from having great godly women in the church that lead in that charge and help others also do that in the church as well. If the church is weak in servanthood and hospitality, even if the church has good leadership and programs, many people would choose to simply go elsewhere or nowhere at all. It's that critical. Women are uniquely gifted in these areas where men are not and can be leaders in promoting this throughout the church. So the last thing I want you guys to, to catch tonight, this is really important. We all share the same call as Christians, though, in reaching the lost. You might have different gifts and abilities, different roles and responsibilities, but all of us as Christians are called to reach the walls in our community, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. And so how are we doing that in 2024 better than what we did in 2023? So think about in 2023. Did you, did you share the gospel with anybody? Did you go out of your way to really help somebody out in need? And if you did, that's wonderful. How do you build upon that in 2024? And if you didn't, how can you take your gifts and your abilities and use that to a bigger influence for God? In 2024. How can you use that to reach the lost this year when maybe you didn't last year? And I want to leave you with this here. <clears throat> you will either follow here in your life, you will look back in 2025 rolls around, you know, Warville, we're still here, and you're going to look back on 2024 and say, I either grew as a Christian this year or I fell farther away from God. And those decisions can be made right now. The steps you take, the, the goals you set, the um, direction you put in your life to 
be a better man, a better woman of God, a better Christian can influence what that, what that answer is, January 1st, 2025. The Christian life is one to consist of constant growth in your relationship with Jesus. If you're not growing closer to Jesus each year and expanding your reach to the lost, then you're falling short of all Jesus calling you to be. And this is something I have to ask myself, too. I don't always live up to that. You know, I think year to year, okay, how can I be better this year? How can I grow this year? And if you've been a Christian 40, 50 years, you can still grow. None of us know everything. None of us are going to know everything until we get to heaven one day. And if God reveals that to us then. So how can you grow in your relationship with God? How can I do more this year than what I did last year? And the last thing I'm going to leave you guys with, this is what I told our youth, our youth uh, last week, is that if you want to set goals for yourself to help you, Become this, this kind of person that God wants you to be, you can set what I call godly goals, G-O-D-L-Y. G-O-D-L-Y. I'm just read them off for you guys. And I would I encourage you guys to spend some time in prayer, thinking about these, and, and, and seeing what God is laying on your heart for this year. But the G stands for God-centered. Um, the goals you set should be God-centered goals. You know, it's not about me just being the best I can be in my career. Oh, that could be a good kind of personal, I'm sorry, professional goal. But if we're looking at spiritual goals, it should be God-centered. The goal should be, how can I be a better Christian, a better follower of God this year? So the goal should, should be tied into that. If it's not tied into that, think of a different goal. O should be that it's attainable. And attainable means that when you set goals, it means that it's something I can achieve in this year. So for instance, if I set a goal that I'm going to share the gospel with 500 people this year. The last year I shared the gospel with nobody. That might be a little ambitious. I mean, great if I could do that, but that might be a little ambitious. You need to set a goal that you, you think you can actually reach. Because most goals are quit within a month or two of starting. And that's because after you start the goal, you realize that was way too hard. I've already failed. I'm way behind. I'm just quitting it. So set a goal that you can easily achieve. It needs to be a little bit challenging. But set something that you can definitely achieve this year. So that way, if you do fall behind, you can look back in March and April and say, hey, I can still achieve this. I still got time. So set something that's attainable. And also put here, D is details. You have a detailed plan on how you're going to achieve that. If you set a goal that I'm going I'm to share the gospel with five people this year, well, set a plan on how you're going to do that. Say, like, okay, for you know, maybe sometime in March, I'm going to go and do a distribution somewhere, a Bible distribution. Maybe I'm going to help out at the homeless shelter this month. Maybe I'm going to help out here and in those places all the time to share the gospel. And the more opportunities arise, that's, that's great. But set a plan on how you're going to share that. You know, if your goal is to be a better um, a better father figure, uh, one of my goals that I said this year is to start reading devotions each night with Grace and Annalise. And so one of my detailed plans to do that is each night I'm going to note down what Bible verse went over, and then, you know, basically this little summary of how the devotion went. You know, did Annalise catch anything from it? You know, did it go well? Things like that. And that keeps me accountable. It keeps me on track. It keeps me, uh, keeps me focused. So have a detailed plan on how you're going to achieve it. And L is to lean into your calling. So if it's a God-centered goal, it should also lean into your calling. And so, hopefully, you just want to say, um, it should also be um, something that leads into your calling. And what I mean by that is that if you feel like you're called to be a missionary, you feel like you're called to, you know, maybe 
I'm going to preach, or maybe you're called just to do something else uh, in the ministry. How can I become, do the next steps, get better at that? You know, how can, be, how can I become a better minister this year? How can I become a better godly father, a godly, a godly mother? And the last one is why, and this is you dependent. Why are you dependent? What I mean by that is when you set a goal for yourself, you shouldn't base it upon other people um, doing things to achieve that goal. It should be fully relying on you doing the goal. What I mean by that, I'm talking about youth this, is if you set a goal that you want to go on a mission trip in 2024, but you know you're going to have to raise $2,000 to do that, it might be a, a good goal to try to do that, but you're also depending on a whole lot of outside forces to achieve that goal. You don't have, to, you don't have full control over that goal. And so I told a better goal may be, I'm going to try to you know, share the gospel with a few friends this year. My, my hope is I can go on a mission trip, and I'll plan for that, but my goal is to actually share the gospel with this friend group that I know is unsaved at school. And here's how I'm going to try to do that this year. Because that's going to depend on you. You don't have to worry about raising money. You don't have to worry about you know, going overseas. You don't have to worry about any of that. If you set goals that are relying on other people, it's very hard to achieve those goals. And I've learned that in the business world as well. We set goals every year in the, in the company I work for. If you set goals, you have to rely on other people. A lot of times people let you down. And they don't necessarily do their part of it. So you might be going cool about it, but that person doesn't see the same desire you see in it. And all of a sudden the goal has failed and you feel like, you let, you let yourself, you let God down. And so, set a goal that you can fully control. And you can do that this year. Again, spend some time in prayer over the next few weeks. How can I be a better godly man? How can I be a better godly woman? And how can I fulfill my call in those areas as a Christian, using this kind of goal format or another one that God's given you? I, I believe that we can become even a better church than we are right now and even lean more into our calling in regard to that. Let me go ahead and pray for us here. Lord, thank you so much for having uh, a wonderful time diving into your word and seeing God you called us as men and women to certain things in the Bible, in our households, in our church. And it's important that we live out those roles to the best of our ability. When those roles get blurred, uh, things get bad in society, God. When men try to be women and women try to be men, um, things get blurred and it's not your design and your plan. When we go against your plan and your desire, God, ultimately it always leads to disaster. So God, I ask that we become the men and the women you're calling us to be. And ultimately, God, as a church, we become the church you're calling us to be that is, is all about reaching the lost for you. Whether the person comes to this church or not, I ask that we just reach the lost in our society, that we, that we live by examples. We also are bold and confident to share your word when opportunities arise. Give us those opportunities. Show us the goals you want us to set in our life this year, and let us fully go after those with all of our heart. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you guys very much for being here today. <laughs> she just got nervous. You were moving. <laughs>